morning, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Very special, very keyword special episode for y'all today. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. Our co host, Chris Yanes, also with us today. You can follow him at Mr. Chris Bits. And Today we've got, as I alluded to, a very special guest, former Florida Gators kicker Caleb Sturgis is with us today, kicked for the Gators from 2008 to 2012. He is Florida's career leader in made field goals with 70. He's a 2008 national champion, a 2012 first team All-American, played five years in the NFL, and he is going to join us today to break down the Gators' showdown with the Tennessee Vols. But before we get into all of that, as always, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We are very, very close to making our announcement regarding our 2022 campaign, including our winners and their stories. So stay tuned for that. You can follow them on Twitter at the Gator good and on Instagram at Gator good foundation. You can also go to their website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and read more about them in the coming days. When that is all finalized, you can also go to the website to make donations to help us with our cause and read more about what we've done in previous years for previous deserving candidates. Gator Good Foundation will pay for flights, rental cars, hotels, game tickets, gear, swag, food, and just generally make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season, please email us, GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Secondly, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. Number two, it is run by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. Number three, I could personally vouch for them because they did the new in all kinds of weather logo, the new in all kinds of weather website. They also did the Gator Good Foundation website, and they did pretty much all of the new Gator collective branding, including their logo and their new website. So just take a look around at some of the big Gator brands out there, including myself and all kinds of weather, Gator Good Foundation and the Gator Collective to see what they can do. So, with that all set, it is time to get our guest of honor on the show tonight. Caleb Sturgis, as I alluded to, is a very special guest and not so funny pun maybe towards the fact that he played on special teams. The The unit typically listed third in the hierarchy of offense, defense, and special teams, but special teams has played a role in this series, especially when he played from 08 to 2012. The Gators, of course, had a guy named Brandon James who terrorized the Vols back then. A lot of kick and punt returns for big yardage. Really did a lot to give the Gators the advantage in those games. Not so much 
of an advantage in recent years, but those who are not aware of history are doomed to repeat it. And in a game where the Gators are pretty heavy underdogs, they are, I believe, as of this recording, the underdog by 11 points. Something like special teams could do a lot to swing the game back in the Gators' favor. But enough about that. Enough about me prognosticating. Caleb's our guest of honor. Caleb, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. How's I mean, how's life? How's everything going? And what have you been doing these days? Thanks, Neil. I appreciate you having me back. I'm excited, as always, to talk uh, Gator football. These days, back in Gainesville, so it's always a good time of the year. Uh, when, when the season starts, always a lot more to do around here, more buzzing. Um, but, you know, I've been working for Amazon for almost a year now, so that's been a decent little transition to me. Still do a little bit of uh, coaching, kicking uh, when, when I can. We just uh, had our third daughter here earlier in the year, so super busy these days. But, um, yeah, I'll always enjoy uh, taking a break to talk a little football. It's one of the great things in life, man. Just just sitting back and, and watching football. It's been a long off season for the Gators, as I'm sure uh, everyone can relate to. Nine months of just grueling, just waiting, waiting for for football, waiting for talking season to be over. Season got off the ground, as we know, with a big win over Utah. Not quite lived up to expectations in the last couple of games. We're looking forward. We're talking Tennessee primarily, but. We did want to get your thoughts on on what you saw in the first three games. I mean, three very different games. Uh, I mean, Utah, big top 10 win. Crowd is excited. Everyone's happy, feeling good. Kentucky, not so much happy, but at least there's the thought of, all right, well, that's at least a ranked team. That's at least an SEC team. We're not happy, but we, we can tolerate it because Mark Stoops does have a, a fighter of a program over there. And then going from that to just being completely inexcusable against South Florida. So, I mean, go, let's, let's go game by game uh, and, and just have you explain what you were feeling, what you think, and, uh, and then how you translate that to where we go from there. Yeah. So it, it's tough because I think going into the season, I didn't have extremely high expectations. Um, just knowing that, you know, I think the reason that we made the change at, at head coach was because, uh, we didn't feel that recruiting was going too well. You know, I don't think that the win-loss ratio probably justified a coaching change. I think it was more um, just the the big picture of saying, you know, do we truly have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan? And and I think the answer was no. And, you know, that's why we made the, the coaching change. So I think coming into the season, we thought, you know, do we have the talent to really compete this year at a real high level? And I think the consensus was probably no, but then you go in, you play a really good Utah team, um, come away with one of the best moments I've ever seen in the swamp. I was very fortunate to be at that game. Um, so I think just hopes go sky high right away. Um, you kind of forget about the areas where we might be lacking a little bit compared to years prior when we we're a really good football team. And, uh, and then things start to show up a little bit in the Kentucky game. And obviously that was really disappointing loss, especially after being up 16, six. Um, and then the USF game, uh, you know, obviously just did not expect uh, USF to put up that good of a fight. I always do appreciate ultimately getting wins. So, you know, before the season, before the season, if you said we'd be two and one right now, I'd say that's probably about right and, and doing a pretty good job. So um 
you know, never happy after a loss to Kentucky, but at the same time, too, probably meeting expectations there. I just think we were so sky high after that Utah game that, uh, you know, it's it's, it's a little disappointing of, of where we've fallen since then. Yeah, and kind of following up on that, Caleb, you yourself went through a coaching change in your time at the University of Florida. Kind of talk a little bit about what that is like the first couple of games of the season. You're adjusting to, you know, a new coaching staff, new system, new regimen. Uh, what are the guys do you think going through right now as, you know, they transition from one ski or one regime to another? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. And again, it's, it's so hard to compare um, what would have been 10 years ago to now, too, because I think there's so much opportunity to get up and leave quickly as well. I think one thing, you know, when I was there, it's you, you would have to sit out a year if you were going to transfer. So you, you just have so much to prove in those first few months. I mean, that first spring was always huge um, and, and a coaching transition. And then the first few games, too. Right. I mean, the coach doesn't really have any ties like there's very few guys that that he's going to um, be super loyal to. You know, I think, you know, a lot of Gator fans were upset about um, Coach Mullen's loyalty to Emory Jones and, and some of the running backs and, and things along those lines. You know, I think when you have a new coaching staff, they, they don't have those ties to players two or three years. They didn't bring them in. So, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of pressure to perform and perform early to build that trust. Um so, yeah, I think they deal with that a little bit. And then obviously scheme, you know, you only have so many hours. These guys aren't professional players, so they're also dealing with school, the, the semester starting. They're starting to get into uh, exams already. So, you know, balancing, trying to learn a completely new system in school and all these things, I, I think it is a lot on, on those players. Yeah, no, definitely. So I kind of also want to get your take on, um, as Billy Napier calls it, the game changer. Uh, he doesn't call special teams. He calls it the game changer role team, if you will. What have you thought so far of special teams group? Uh, you know, just all aspects of it, kicking, punting, uh, the return game. Uh, I know we have a retro freshman uh, kicker this year. So just kind of your input on that so far. Uh, he's been amazing. <laughs> um you know, I always, I always look at it too. And Adams, Adams done an unbelievable job. Um, obviously, made all his field goals, but you look and every ball is pretty much right down the middle. And I think that kind of is a really good sign for what's to come. In the sense of you can make five, six field goals in a row, but if each one is hugging uprights and all, you're probably going to end up being you know 75, 80 percent field goal kicker because of the ball dispersion. But every ball he's put right down the middle, I think, which is a really good sign that, that he's going to be super successful here for a long time. Um, so really happy about that. Um, you know, I know Trey uh, is a really good kicker, too. So it'll be interesting, um, you know, seeing them continue to battle year after year. Um, I, I think the punting's um, gone pretty well. Um, you know, huge leg, obviously. Um, I, I'm a big fan of having Australian guys uh, here. I, I think I think he's actually about age appropriate it's always funny to me seeing the 27 28 year old uh freshman punter come over from australia um but what they're able to do with the football is always um super impressive compared to usually like a um, american style where it's really mostly the spiral maybe they're starting to get the aussie punt down um but with australian guys they're able to hit the end over end punt pretty much on command they can hit a 45 yard 4-4 hang time punt which pretty much always gets you know, it's pretty much always a fair catch. So I think, um, you know, what we have a punter is, is really special. So as far as punting and kicking goes, I think we're in a great place. Um, the return game kickoff return is tough because 
it's just to me, it's not a great statistical move to return kickoffs. Uh, Very rarely are you going to average past the 25 yard line when you return them. So to me, there's not a ton to gain there. And if we don't have a Percy Harvin um, that's returning kicks to where you want to take that chance. Um, one thing I'd like to see improve is, um, and, and again, this might be years um, down the road as uh, coach Napier is able to get his own guys in, but I want to see more dynamic players in, in the punt return game. Um, you know, and I, I got a lot portion enough to play high school football with Brandon James, and he was just such a difference maker in high school and then in college, right? Of every time they punted the ball to us, something could happen. And it opens up so much too. And then we block a ton of punts too, because they realize they've got to get down the field quickly or he's going to, you know, get, have big um, play after big play. So, you know, they overemphasize the coverage. All of a sudden we block a punt. Um, And I I feel like we've really lacked that in the last few years. And then, you know, kind of disappointing um, thus far of, of again, very similar in the punt return game. So I'm hoping that we're able to, um, you know, have some dynamic players back there, make some big plays and and open things up. So Caleb, I mean, you touched on it, but we, we would not be doing our jobs if we had you on the show and just did not ask you about how special teams has changed so drastically over the last few years, because now kickoffs are done from five yards closer to the opposing end zone. Now touchbacks are taken to the 25, not the 20. Seems like concussions are being treated much more seriously, but it does take special teams out of the game some in terms of kick returns. So to me, that just says that special teams impacts are going to have to come at other parts of the field. And you were not, well, you did go against this in practice. You, you would get to watch your teammates do this on the field, but <laughs> for lack of a better way to put this, when's Florida going to get back to blocking punts again? Like how, <laughs> how, how do you, how do we go to such a place where that has such a tremendous emphasis placed on it to where we saw against Kentucky, we didn't do it. They snapped right. the ball over the guy's head, but we saw that that's a free two points. If you can block a punt and just bat it back out of the end zone, it's a free two points. You get the ball back and it could completely shift the game. How do we get back to that point? Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest things is, is, uh, I mean, it starts with your players. Um, you know, when I was at Florida, we just had super dynamic guys that that played on the special teams between Dems, Rainey, uh, you know, Brandon James, um, you know, and then, and then again, too, then you throw like a Carlos Dunlap in there and, and, and let him create some space for Rainey and Dems to come through. So, yeah, I, th- I think it starts with the players. Um, and, and again, too, you know, what Coach Schaefer has done in recruiting, I, I think it will show up uh, as long as the guys buy into special teams. And I, and I believe they will. But I think first and foremost is you've got to have a returner back there that scares the other team. Uh, because, uh, again, our, our biggest thing always um, when Coach Meyer was there was a premium placed on coverage, right? Um, I mean, if you look over the – how many ever – the five years at Florida – the other team's punt return yards was insanely low, like under 50. It, and, and part of that too was we had a great punter in Chaz Henry. Um, but another part too is, I mean, we practiced it so much. Um, but so then you flip, you flip the script a little bit. And, and the one thing that stops you from being great in coverage is, I, I mean, the in protection is if you have a dynamic returner and if, if we have that again too, they're not going to be able to hold their block for those two seconds. They're going to try to get off a little bit early and that opens up the gaps, um, you know, and, and, and the punt rush. So I think until we have a real dynamic guy back there, 
um, it'll, it'll be tough getting to the punter. Well, kind of shifting to a pretty dynamic matchup we have here with Tennessee this weekend. Um, it's the third top 20 matchup in four weeks. So that's pretty rare that I think we actually open a schedule. We always have tough schedules, it seems like, being that you play in the SEC. But this year, it's very front-loaded, you know, opening with Utah, then Kentucky. And now we have Tennessee, three top 20 matchups in four weeks. Talk just kind of where you think the team's psyche is going into this game and what are some things you're looking for from last week to this week? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most exciting things is the, our offensive line. Um, you know, the way we've been able to run the ball, I haven't seen in, in a long time here at Florida. So to me, that's that's super exciting. Um, the running backs, all, I mean, all of them have um, played extremely well. Obviously, you get really excited about a freshman like ETN. Um and then obviously with what Richardson can do running the ball too. Um, to me, I, I think if we, if we can run the ball, um, you take the crowd out a little bit on some really long drives. Um, you can say a lot of things about our defense um, over the last few years and all, but at the end of the day, they've, they've done a really good job to, in my opinion, in all three games of finishing out the games. Um, obviously the Kentucky game, we didn't win, but I thought the defense did a really good job and especially late and giving us as many chances as we could have. Ultimately, they came up with a big play against uh, South, South Florida as well. Um, so it's me, you know, you run the ball um, really efficiently. You'll get some play actions, make some easy throws for Richardson. And, uh, and, and again, the defense just you can bend, but, but, but don't break against a really good Tennessee offense. Yeah, and, and kind of talking a little bit about obviously the crowd is going to be a huge factor. Right. And you played uh, at, at Neyland Stadium. I think what you did two trips there, or maybe three in your redshirt year. Yeah, I got got them in Kentucky three or five times. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you what do you think that how do you prepare for for an atmosphere like that? You know, just to, knowing that it's it's pretty much all going to be against you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm not going to be on that game. They, they do. They have a great atmosphere there. Uh, it's going to be loud. Um, you know, it's nice that we have the indoor now too. I'm sure they can pump a bunch of noise in there. So, um, you can simulate some of that with the offense of, of being in a place where you can't really hear the quarterback in the huddle, um, having to go on silent counts, things, things along those lines. Um, but it'll, it'll be new for, and we are playing a lot of young players, so it'll be brand new to them. Um, you know, some of them played at some big high schools, so you maybe have 10,000 people there, but, and obviously the Utah game was one of the loudest stadiums that I've been in, but. To be in that environment, to be um, the underdog. Is, is it game day? Have they officially announced that yet? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's <laughs> the, it, I mean, there, there's going to be a ton of emotion going into the game. Um, so, I think t- to me, too, being able to balance that because you want to use that, too, to your advantage, too. You want to play free. Um, you you, you want to be ex- excited about it. But at, at, at the same time, too, you want to be under control in everything that you do. Yeah, and I remember uh, if I remember a matchup. I think it was 2012. Here it would have been your senior year. Um, I actually went to that game. That was one of my favorite games ever as a Gator fan, going to a road stadium. And but I do remember it just seemed going into that game, all the attention was on Tennessee. Game day was there. Everybody kind of expected Tennessee to roll Florida that day, but it ended up being quite the opposite. Florida ended up winning and and, and pretty, I would say, handily at the end. Um, I don't know if you want to recall maybe that game a little bit and kind of what that was like and, and overcoming those emotions, you know, that Tennessee had that day. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's great when Tennessee's good, right? I mean, that, that environment is awesome. I think they're undefeated going into that year Well, they have Tyler Bray, um, Hunter was the receiver and then Cordell Patterson. 
you know, were, were the two receivers. So, I mean, they were pretty dynamic on offense. We had a great defense. It was, it was a good battle. I remember, I remember Frankie Hammond's 80-yard uh, touchdown, I think it was. Um, Trey Byrne had a huge one. I think Jeff had a long run. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty cool being able to silence that crowd. 100,000 people, you know, going nuts to, to being completely silent at the end is, uh, is, is a pretty special thing. Um, but definitely one of the cooler environments that you get to play in as a player. And, and I'm, I'm excited for the guys uh, that, that get to play in it right now, too, because, again, it, over the last 10, 12 years, you haven't always had a really competitive Tennessee team in this type of environment. So I, I think definitely soak it in and enjoy it. Well, asking you shall receive because Tennessee is as highly ranked against us as they've been since 2006 at home. Wow. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is the real deal. I mean, of course, they also haven't been very good, period, in the last decade and a half. But, yeah, I mean, they, they have never hosted us with this higher ranking beside their name since then. So going to be a, a big atmosphere. It's going to be bigger than the Swamp. It's going to be louder than the Swamp, probably, if if the game goes in a way that, that allows that to happen. But um, I wanted to ask you about the guy that everyone has said since – March or since, I mean, since November really of last year, it was going to dictate how this season was going to go for Florida and Anthony Richardson. And personally, I, I understand coaches have to say certain things in, in pressures. I understand that the tape is going to say something. The stats are going to say something. The coaches are going to say something at the end of the day, no one really knows what's really going to be to be, what should be expected of the guy playing other than the guy who's playing himself like no one's in his head aside from him no one knows how he's feeling physically if he has an injury like he's talking about no one's gonna know for sure aside from him so you've dealt with injuries I know you you know you've dealt with some ups some downs in your career so talk to us about what you think it's like to be in his situation, um, I mean, obviously kicker to quarterback isn't really apples to apples, but nonetheless, a huge position you had. I mean, you've had huge moments kicking the game winning field goal against Arkansas. You've had big moments. Uh, we stepped on the field for big kicks before. So talk to us about from your recollection, what it's like to be, you know, the, the, the leader of a team and such an important part of a team going into an atmosphere like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um it- Again, too, as you you alluded to it, too, you know, I think the team is really going to um, follow Richardson's lead and you know, the way he plays. Um, we, we could be a, a really good team, um, really tough to beat in the East. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, obviously, Georgia's kind of been a different level at this point. But behind them, you know, I think we are the could be the best team in the in the East. Um, if Richardson uh, can play to his potential. Um, and if not, you know, in, in like the last two games, it, it's going to be a, a tough year. Um, you know, I was in the stadium in, close to the end zone when he made a two-point play against Utah. It's one of the best football plays I've ever seen at any level. Um, some of the throws he made in that game, some, some of the best I've seen, um, you know, seemed to read the field really well. Um, and then he fast forward and, and obviously struggles tremendously. And, in the, in the next two games. And, and so much comes down to confidence at, at that position and being comfortable in, in what you're doing. Um, and then obviously with uh, playing in Knoxville under, under this crowd, it's not going to get any easier in, in that situation. Um, his, his nerves are going to run super high in the game. 
Um, but just hoping he can go back to the bases and get a hot start. Cause like anything, right. If you go out to the um, range and golf and you're hitting the ball down the middle, it's a lot easier to do that. And, uh, in, in the game. So, you know, hopefully this week of practice, you know, he's just been able to make some of the more routine throws, um, get on the same page as his receivers and, and make a few plays early. And if he gets his confidence up, I, I think he can play the same way he did uh, against Utah. And if he does that, uh, the, the team will follow. Really the last thing on Anthony Richardson, do you think he just seems like a guy that it's been a little weird not seeing him run because I think last year when we were introduced to him, he was such a dynamic player with the ball. I mean, he took it 80 yards against USF, against FAU early last year. And then that was kind of like, well, what, what is the true potential? And then we saw the throws follow that. Do, do you think it's kind of the case maybe he needs to run a little bit more to get himself going um, versus some quarterbacks who need those like quick, easy throws? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question for sure. And, and again, you know, there's constantly the speculation. Does he have a few injuries that we, that we don't know about? And obviously you don't want your opponent to know about that at that point. Um, as a fan, obviously, I'd love to see him <laughs> get, get more involved in running. Obviously, that play broke out um, to the left against Utah was the one of you know, three or four plays that really changed that game. Um, and, and to me, I, I like those plays too, right, where we might not call his number um, to, to run before the play. But um, him being able to see, you know, no, there's or there's no spy, there's there's nobody on that side of the field, and and no one to take off. Um, to me, op- opens up a ton. And then if they do overplay him running, he he will be able to make those easy throws. So um, d- definitely a balance, but between those two. Um, but obviously, as a fan, I, I'd like to see him run more. Um, our offensive line does a great job blocking, so um, you'd have to think on a few design runs, he w- he would be able to gash a few. Definitely. I mean, you have to hope so. He he had a couple lanes against South Florida. He did have one 16-yard run. I think he had another 10-yard run. But, I mean, at this point, it's just a matter of he's got to do it. I mean, if, if the hole is there, that's great. But he's got to then take advantage of it and, and utilize it. So, uh, I mean, that's that's one side of the ball that, that definitely has drawn a lot of criticism uh, for Florida last couple weeks. Uh, the other side of the ball – really wasn't bad, like you mentioned, against Kentucky. You would have liked to have seen them not break a couple times in the first half, but the second half they did great. South Florida game, they just they, – they didn't they didn't do their jobs. It's the easiest right. way to put it. They did not do their jobs. And I'm wondering, yes, they did better against Utah. Yes, they did better against Kentucky. But the dip against the team that's less talented than both of their first two opponents – to now ask them to go on the road for the first time in the year where they're probably going to be, you know, unfamiliar with the terrain. Maybe some communications get lost, maybe because the grass isn't the precise shade of green that it is in Gainesville. Maybe that'll throw them a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Some little tiny things like that could throw them for a loop and they get confused or something unfamiliar stadium surroundings, whatever to against, by the way, a much better opponent. You've got Hendon Hooker, a quarterback that can make you pay if you're not careful, if you're a foot or two out of position. You've got good receivers. You've got a guy like Jalen Hyatt that can fry you if you're not absolutely dotting your T's and or dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Um, I mean, how, how do they do that, Caleb? How do, how do they go from a, an opponent like South Florida at home to take a big step up on the road to a team like Tennessee? That's that's a good question. Have, have they said if Miller's playing yet? Has that been announced? I 
I don't believe they've released a injury report. So mm. I think Wednesday, I think we'll probably get the the depth chart and the the official. Update. Yeah, they're gonna knowing our luck, they're gonna release that like three hours after this pod. But <laughs> right. so it goes. Yeah. Right. So, so I'd say if, if he's on the field, I feel a lot more comfortable. I mean, I think, I think he's our best player on defense. Um, obviously Cox is the most um, dynamic player that we, that we have on defense, but um, you know, I think when Miller's on the field, we're a much better football team. Um, I think he knows the defense better than any, any of the other guys. And um, it, just, it just always helps to have a guy in the middle that, that <laughs> knows what's going on. Um, so it's going to be tough. And I think it comes down to ultimately what we were able to do in the Utah game of Tennessee is going to move the ball against us. They'll score. It's just, can it be three instead of seven? And if, if we can give them three more times than not, then, then I think we'll be in, in, in a good position to win. Um, if they score touchdowns, um, it, it's going to be a really tall task uh, in, in Knoxville to win. I think that's a good point because if I, I think back to a lot of years, uh, in the past when we've gone to Knoxville and Tennessee was expected to win. One of the things that allowed us to win was the fact that our defense bended a little bit, but didn't break and they did settle for field goals and not, they didn't get the touchdowns. And I can think of 2014 as an example, you go all the way back to, I think it was like 2000 was another one that's way back, but just in the history of this game is Florida wins. If they're able to limit the, the big play with Tennessee. And I, that just seems to me as a key with this defense um, for this, for this one. Yeah. And I, and I, I think our defensive backs do a pretty good job. Um, overall, I, th- I think we have some good corners. Um, you know, I can't think of them being beat too. I, I missed a little bit of the USF game. Uh, I, I left at halftime to take the kids home, but, uh, um, you know, I, th- I thought they, they've done a good job all, all, all the way through, um, so far, you know, I think there's had a few plays over the top. I mean, the play against Kentucky to me, it's the, you, you can't even, Put put too much in it. It was a great play by the receiver, but it, we were we were right there. So um, again, just limiting the big plays, I, I think we'll be fine. They're they're going to move the ball, that's for sure. Um, but again, if if we control the clock by, and I think we can in our run game, they only get so many possessions. I think that's a good point too with the secondary because Neil and I talked about it on the recap podcast the other day. Is that the secondary has really been, I think, the bright spot for this team. And this is going to be the first true test for the secondary against a high-powered uh, passing offense. But I think at least that it's a strength that matches our strength. And, mm-hmm. and we do match up very well um, versus them. And if you think back to last year where a lot of these guys were on the defense, Florida was actually one of the games that we were able to stifle Tennessee they only, I think they only scored 14 points last year against us. So, and granted, at home, you know, the, the crowd was a factor against them. But there definitely is a matchup, I think, advantage just based on our personnel versus theirs. Yeah, I mean, if you remember that game, Tennessee's two touchdowns came on busted plays. There's a little screen mm-hmm. pass off the left side that goes for 45 yards. And then there's a bomb that, not going to name names, but someone got burned. Busted coverage. Yeah, busted coverage. and that was a – what 67 70 yard touchdown pass or so so really two plays deciding 14 points if not for two plays there's a big goose egg on the board and i, I know you can't do that because those two plays happen but point being florida's defense for one of the very few times that season actually did its job but i mean tennessee's got weapons now they've got yeah. you know, the jalen's they've got jalen Wright. they've got jalen hyatt hendon hooker is a very good distributor of the ball he's a good facilitator of that offense 
The Vols do have some injury concerns. Uh, Cedric Tillman is questionable, the high ankle injury. He's expected to be a game-time decision. That doesn't matter because there's a ton of talent everywhere else. Uh, Jimmy Callaway actually is out for the first half after punching an Akron defensive back several times. Side note, punching a helmet is ridiculously stupid. But he will be back for the second half, so they will have him for – 50% of that game. Jabari Small running back is probable. They're likely going to have him. They have a lot of weapons on that offense. Florida had to deal with a team in Utah with two really good tight ends, but top to bottom, skill position wise, I don't think Florida's faced an offense that has been quite this good. Even if Ventron Miller plays, this defense is undoubtedly going to have its hands full. Without him, the task, I think, becomes a lot more difficult. So, I mean, Caleb, we'll, we'll get to giving more hard and fast predictions in a moment with our final segment of the pod. But I mean, let's just start broadly before we, we zoom in more and give more precise answers on this. How does Florida win this game? Because they're, they're huge underdogs. It's a road test for the first time this year. There's a major question at quarterback right now. He might, I mean, again, he might be just fine, and he might be Utah version of AR, but there's a question mark there. There's a major question mark on defense. And, I mean, right now there's a question mark with coaching. I don't know that a lot of Gator fans, if you were to poll them, would say, yeah, I, I think that we're utilizing players to their strengths to the best degree possible, with that being a major criticism of the Dan Mullen tenure. I don't think a lot of Gator fans think that's happening yet now. If you look at the distribution of balls – um, that that get carried by Naquan Wright versus uh, Montreal Johnson and uh, Trevor Etienne. Granted, I think Naquan Wright can be a big piece of the offense, but I digress. How does Florida go and pull this off? Yeah, absolutely. So the, sh- the short answer is I, I think keep it close. Um, the one thing I've really appreciated so far is ultimately we've done a good job winning the really close games. Um, I guess Kentucky was was close. Um, it didn't feel close like with, I guess, the way we were playing and ended up being a two-score game. But uh, the two one-score games, ultimately, we win. So, to me, um, and, and again, you, you see the opposite of that in Nebraska. I mean, how many one-score games do, do they ultimately lose? And it completely um, ch- changes that, that coach's uh, time there. Um, so, to me, too, I think, you know, you run the ball, you limit Tennessee's uh, possessions on, on offense. Um, and again, too, uh, you know, if we can get Richardson some easy throws early and play action, run on first and second down, um, create third and shorts, I, I think we'll be in great in a great position. If we turn the ball over the way we did in the last two games, I, I don't think there there is a chance. Um, but again, too, uh, going back to the way our offensive line has played, it, it's been a long time since we've had this good offensive line play. I'm super excited about it. ETN's the difference maker. If he can gash one, one or two, um, you know, quiet the crowd a little bit and then j- just keep it close. I, I think the pressure is ultimately going to be on Tennessee. You know, as you said, this has been the highest they've been ranked since 2006. Um, you know, this could be a, a huge statement win for the coach having game day there and everything. I think all the pressure is going to be on them. So keep it close late and uh, make the big play again as we have the last uh, few games. Yeah, for sure. Definitely would help to keep it close as opposed to being down three scores in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that that leads us to our, our big finale of the show. It's called 
the verdict, you probably remember this from um, the Arkansas preview of 20, but oh. we're going to add a little extra segment to this one particular pod. And depending how this week goes, we may keep it for future pods. But anyway, we'll go with our keys to the game. The percent chance that we think Florida has to win, meaning if you think that Florida has no chance whatsoever, you'll say zero. If they have a hundred percent chance, like hundred, so on. Probably going to be in between those two numbers, and then we'll give our score prediction. So this time, I would like for us each to give one key for Anthony Richardson to do well and be the quarterback that leads us to victory, and then a second key that is not related to him for how Florida can win. So one key related to AR, one key not related to AR. And then we'll give our percent chances, and then we'll give our score prediction. So, Caleb, you're the guest. We'll start with the Anthony Richardson key. What does he have to do to lead Florida to a win? Uh, I want to say no turnovers because, again, sometimes it's, it's not his fault. But but no um, no easy turnovers, right, of just, um, you know, he, he can't make dumb interceptions. For me, it's poise. I think okay. all of the great quarterbacks have poise. And, you know, or I go back to earlier, before the season, we did our state of the program pod. I said, how does Florida react to adversity? And I think thus far, in the first game, we did a great job. And then the last two games, there's been moments where we haven't. And we, we ultimately pulled it out of against USF and overcame it. But I think Anthony specifically has, has shown at times he's not been able to. So can he maintain his poise when the crowd is – this is by far the, the, the toughest environment he's going to play in and yet in his career is only his fourth start. Can he maintain the poise when the crowd's against him, when there's a penalty against Florida, when there's a negative play, something that goes wrong on the offense? How does he react to the next play and the play after that? Can he deliver the ball accurately on third and long if we're in that situation? So for me, I, I, I want to see how he reacts to adverse situations. Yeah, those, those are both good. I can't really debate either of those. My key is is very simple. Just use your feet. Use your no. legs. Assuming, of course, he's healthy. If there is an injury we don't know about, then that's null and void. But assuming that his legs are healthy, just run. You've got open lanes. If Tennessee is daring you to take off and run, if they're going to give you those seams and they're going to lock down and maybe – I don't know that you double Ricky Pearsall, but I mean, if you pay attention to him and you, you locked him down and Justin short down and you give him a lane, take off. Sure. And you know what, if you want to slide after you've picked up 12 yards on third and seven, fine, but take off and use your legs when you have the opportunities to do so. Because if you do that and you make Tennessee respect that they can't just leave vacuous holes in the middle of the field anymore. And they have to you know respect it and cover it, which could free up some one-on-one opportunities, which AR did hit a couple. He didn't do a ton right against USF, but he did hit a couple of one-on-one throws. And Tennessee's secondary isn't isn't bad, but I do trust Ricky Pearsall, and I do trust Justin Shorter one-on-one with their DBs. So that's my key. Just run the ball when you have the opportunity to do so. Make plays that you can. Don't try to do too much, maybe, but do what you can, and all shall uh, be well, I think. Neil, really quick, do you think that the – and this also for Caleb too, if Jack Miller is healthy, do you think the coaching staff and, or do we see maybe a different Anthony Richardson? Like, you know, we're not worried if, if you do sustain an injury during the game, unfortunately, because we do have our true backup there. If that truly is playing into it, because based on some of the post, the press game, uh, the press conference comments, 
that may be the case just based on what they're saying? Mm. Uh, uh, Caleb, you want to go first? I, I, I have conflicting thoughts on this. Caleb, you want to go first on this? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I have a tough time seeing, uh, you know, the, the head coach calling the game scared. I mean, it's, it's, it's this whole mantra, right? That he, he's scared money doesn't make money. And, and, and I think too, when you get into a game, um, you know, any competitors had this too. I think it's really hard not to do what is most optimal to win if you know that in your head. So I, I get it. And, 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 and I get too from Richardson's standpoint, if it's, you know, if he does have a little injury of not letting loose on, on some running or not hitting that second gear. So maybe, maybe that is there. But I, I have a hard time um, believing in game when games get close that you're not opening the playbook. I mean, guys, we saw Emory Jones last year against FSU throw three interceptions in one half. Are you going to sit there and tell me Jalen Kitna would do that much worse than that? And, you, and Caleb's you right. You never know. You can't call a game like that, man. I mean, the backup quarterback – was recruited to play football at the University of Florida. You can't just act like you don't have a spot there. You can't act like you just don't have a QB two. So if that is the case, I mean, maybe the game is called differently. Maybe AR plays differently, but that's not a good sign. That's really not a good sign. Well, and and for, first half against USF, I understand, right? You know, I understand again too. We're we're trying to get his confidence back in the, in the throws. We're trying to open up, um, and and again, the, trying or ha- having him run the ball if he gets hurt in the first half of USF when we're up ten points. I think all the fans would uh, give the head coach a really hard time for the fact that he, he was running the ball in that situation, right? Um, second half when it gets close. Uh, no, I don't think anybody would question, uh, you know, ha- having um, a designed run for him. Okay, so AR, we agree, is going to be a big piece of the game. We also know that there are 21 positions on the field that are not the quarterback. Plot wall special teams, too. I mean, you can definitely yeah, cite those positions as, as keys to the game and, and coaching. So a lot of the game is not going to be dictated by AR, so – Guys, what do we think the non-AR key is to a Florida victory in Rocky Top? I'd say uh, we, we need to rush for at least 175 yards, um, I think, is a, is a minimum um, there. Um, and, and, and my hope is that's, that's minimum for the running backs alone. Hopefully the AR is the um, cherry on top of, of whatever he can contribute. And then, um, again, talked about already on, on defense of – you know, maybe one red zone touchdown. So for my key to this game, it's time of possession. Hmm. Florida has not won the battle of time of possession yet this season. For this Florida to win, they have to maintain the ball the majority of the game. How do you frustrate an opponent when they're really good on offense? You don't let them on the field. So if we can possess the ball for long periods of time and we lean on our strength, which is the run game, we can chew a lot of clock out, shorten the game. I think for Florida to win, they're going to have to I, – I honestly think it's like one of those like 20s games, both teams in the 20s. And I think the key is to just not allow Tennessee on the field, limit their opportunities, slow them down, and that's going to lead us to potential. So I'm going to piggyback off of what Caleb said with rushing for 175 yards – 
I don't know what Tennessee's defense is because we've seen them play two cream puffs and one mid ACC team in Pitt. And we don't know what they are because in their limited time on the field, they've nearly lost to West Virginia who lost to Kansas who might be good. So, I mean, we don't know, but the tape against Pittsburgh makes me stop and pause for a second. That defensive Tennessee's doesn't look great. Run the ball, punish Tennessee's defense. Use that offensive line that Caleb, I mean, and I and, and Chris and Dustin and, and everyone have agreed is finally now a strength for the Gators. Use it. Use that guy, number seven, free seven, as we've been seeing on Twitter. Use him. Use ETN. Use Montreal Johnson. Use those legs of AR. Run the ball and run the ball until they prove they can stop it. And if they do, well, then, then we get to see if Billy Napier can make adjustments on the fly. But if you don't have to make adjustments, just keep running the ball until or unless it doesn't work. And that is whether Florida does that is going to dictate uh, my percent chance that Florida has to win, which is the next component to this uh, verdict segment. So without knowing that, because of course we can't, what do we think, Caleb? This one's interesting to me. Uh, you know, I'm going to go Florida 51% chance of winning, but I'm going to say chance of, I think Tennessee has a chance of winning by a lot if they win. I think that they, that they could blow it open um, and, and pretty quickly of, of, of things could go south fast for us. But I just think that we win more often than not against Tennessee. The pressure is on them. I think we win this game more times when we lose it, even though uh, Vegas would heavily disagree. Wow. Okay, bold. Yeah, I can't remember what I put. I know my chances for victory preseason was in the 40s for this game. I would say it's gone down a little bit since then. I would put it at a solid, like, maybe 38%. I mean, I do think the odds are against us, you know, just being that Tennessee is going to get up for this game. They are heavily favored. Um, But that doesn't mean necessarily I'm going to predict Tennessee to win. So I don't know if that's a (laughs) precursor. It's going to be tough. It is, And I was actually looking at ESPN FBI. They have, like, a 12% chance to Florida, which I think is crazy. Neil might disagree on his here coming up, but – I don't know, 12% is low, especially for, uh, you know, an SEC team that did beat a top 10 team just two weeks ago. So I think that giving Florida a 12% chance is a little bit of overkill. I don't think it's crazy. I'm going to go with 20 because I, I haven't seen anything from AR in the last two games. And I haven't seen anything from our defense in the last four quarters against a bad usf team that leads me to think florida can win now college football is a very fickle thing it is a week-to-week thing and if we don't remember how that works i mean from the last three games of the season if you want another example look at fsu last year almost beating notre dame and then jacksonville state comes in and beats them so it can shift from week to week like that and florida will almost certainly get up and give tennessee the best that they've got now is the best that they've got a hobbled Anthony Richardson? Is it a lack of a better way to put this? A mind effed Anthony Richardson? I don't know. Is it going to be an Anthony Richardson that doesn't utilize the whole playbook because the coaches don't want to run him? I don't know. So that's why I'm leaving it at 20. Now, if you were to sit there and tell me 
Florida will run the ball 40 plus times in this game. And we will get Anthony Richardson at his very best. My percent chance hops up into the fifties and probably even to about 60, but I don't know that. So without that information in hand, I'm going to go with what I've seen the last couple of games. And I'm going to say, yeah, there, there is a path to victory. There is a chance, but it's not particularly high. So I'll say solid 20. I mean, do you guys think that's crazy? Because you guys have both gone way higher than me. So if, if, if you think that that's a little overkill, tell me. No, I think. Oh, go ahead, Caleb. Oh, no, you're, yeah, I, I, I would say I'm, I'm probably living in the past more, more than anything. But I just, you know, Tennessee, whatever reason, they have a tough time beating us. And, and again, too, I, I think something's to be said with the, the pressure is going to be on them. And I, and I think that we're not as bad as as we've shown in, in, in the last two weeks. Um, and, and you alluded to it as well, too. College changes so much week to week. And Tennessee has not had enough on, on tape to me to say that they are a def- definitely a, a really good team. Right. No, I, I agree. I, they I played two that. MAC teams, two MAC teams who I don't think are favored to win their conference this year, and a Pitt team that is definitely not the same Pitt team that won the ACC last year. So, I mean, this is going to be – for me, I think this is their biggest test of the season. I know people are going to say it was Pitt, but they very well could have lost that game. Uh, against a team that I don't think is a great a great ACC team. But to Kayla's point, if there's a blowout in this game, it's going to be for Tennessee. It's, it's, if for Florida to win, they're going to have to win close, and they're going to have to make plays down the stretch for them. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's more likely than not going to be what happens. I think that if Florida wins, it's going to be a close game. If Tennessee wins, it's going to be a blowout. Well, I mean, it, it'll, it'll be by double digits. It won't be a one-score game. So with that said, guys, score predictions. I've I've gone back and forth on this all week. I've thought about all the variables we've talked about. I'm gonna be I mean it's gonna come down to the very last second for me. Like I still don't know the score that I'm gonna predict. So Caleb, you're our guest. Go first while I try to figure this out in my head. What have you got? Uh, oh man. 31-27 Gators. Let's go. All right. I'm going to say, okay, so the over-under is 62.5 in this game. And remember how I said that for Florida to win, they have to really limit the scoring. We're going to go way under here. Florida 23, Tennessee 20. They limit Tennessee in the red zone to field goals. Florida does just enough to control the clock, and they eke out a win in Neyland and break the hearts once again of the Tennessee faithful on Rocky Top. I will be the happiest guy in the world <laughs> if that happens. I, I, I'm just not seeing it. I, I think Florida plays better. I think the Gators play better than we've seen in each of the last two weeks. I don't know that that's enough against Tendon Hooker, who, by the way, I don't think he's a Heisman contender. I don't think he's a first-round draft pick, but I think he's good enough to beat the defense that is if it's if it plays 10 times better than it did last week. I think he can still beat them because Will Levis made plays against us. I think that – might be enough the way our offense is going. So I, I I think Florida hangs in there for a while. I think it's a very close game for two, two and a half, maybe even three quarters. I think in the fourth quarter, our defense, especially without Ben Trell Miller, which is another variable that's making me pause here because without him, the defense is very different than is with him. Without him, I say Tennessee wins 41 to 21 with him. I think the game is very different. 
I think Tennessee then wins 31 to 20. So I'll, I'll give, I'll give both of those scores because I think he has that big of an impact, but you know what? AR go out and prove me wrong, man. I'm, I'm inviting you to prove me wrong and I will apologize. I will sing your praises. I'll be the happiest guy in the world to be wrong, but just from what I've seen so far, I, it's just not it's just not objectively advisable to predict. Caleb, what about you know the 23-20 is a is an Adam game winning field? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, easy, easy. Yeah. I and, and again, from what I've seen so far, if he's out there, I'm putting the money on him making the kick. So that that would be a pretty storybook uh ending there. 23-20 was the same, uh, I think it was the same score when you kicked the game winner against Arkansas, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes, it was. It was twenty to twenty, and you came on from uh, from your from the kicker's perspective it would have been the left hash, and you drained it. That was pretty <laughs> sweet. Was, Time uh, flies, man, doesn't it? It, it does. I know it's, it's a crazy thing. About thirteen years ago now, it, uh, it's pretty great. We we had a reunion this weekend actually, um, so got to see some of the some of the former players and all there. But it's great. I mean, we all have. We have kids now and everything too. It's it's crazy seeing the, the the generations pass, but but then when you're out there, sometimes it feels like yesterday. It is crazy, man. It is crazy how time it feels like. Just yesterday, we had Urban as our head coach, but Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen have all come and gone since then. Yeah, it, it it's interesting too. Of you know, you you feel like they're here a long time. I was talking to a buddy on the uh, Duke Lemons actually on the phone today. He's a, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, we we're talking about. Uh, coach Mickey Marotti and just it, it felt like he was here forever but it's crazy to think he's been at Ohio State far longer than he was at Florida and it just um it, it was actually a pretty short period of time they were here when, when you think of how much success they brought yeah really, really quick too Caleb I know that there's been some um hubbub about the recent leaked photos of the potential Netflix documentary coming out um are you at all involved in that or do you know <laughs> that is involved in that Give us yeah, the details I've, you can. <laughs> I, I, I've seen I've seen those as well. Uh, apparently, I wasn't on the approved list from Coach Meyer to uh, to oh. make it because <laughs> I'm I'm guessing he had a big say on uh, on on who was approved uh, for that. But no, that that would be an awesome segment. I, I'd be really interested to know what direction they take that because there's so many directions that you could take. You know, obviously there's so much success, but then you know you had the off the feel things that a lot of the news outlets like to take and obviously that's probably the sexier story would be to go you know how much success and you have the Tebow uh, figure and everything there but then you know the, the backstories of of you know a lot of arrests and things like that so I'm really interested to know you know how if, if it happens how do they get you know coach Meyer and some of these guys in the University of Florida how do they get them to agree to do it um, but still make it interesting and enough um for, for the fans and, and again people are going to watch these type of documentaries i mean i guess it really just depends on who they're marketing this towards i mean if they're marketing it towards gator fans they obviously take a very very different approach to it than if they're marketing it to just college football fans in general who are probably going to want to know a lot more about the you know hernandez stuff and the off-field stuff rather than if you're going for gator fans you probably talk a lot more about the success behind the team Right. And, and, but I just, I just have a super hard time thinking, you know, with everything that coach Meyer just went through and, 
and then you know the brand us brand in general that they would let them overemphasize on the hernandez and then you know if, if they want to expand further on, on on other things that have happened um i'd have a tough time seeing it being approved um in, in, in that way and too you know the one the one thing i'll give the guys credit for too is you know it was a super close group it's still now when you, when you see game or when you go to games you know you a mod major the penalties and all it's still a super tight-knit group so you know i don't think there's going to be a lot of uh negativity spoken amongst teammates and the lessons you're all going to watch <laughs> without a doubt i i don't know why you wouldn't if you're a gator fan that that was probably the nicest season the gators have ever put out there but hopefully billy napier can uh produce more seasons like that 2008 season it's going to be hard but that's what he is striving for um kind of a rebuilding season this year but that doesn't mean we can't produce some nice moments along the way as we as we build towards that that ultimate goal of a 2008 type season i know that's a hell of a of a dot connection game to sort of wrap this pot up but uh i mean caleb we really appreciate your time of course um as always we Love to have you back again. Florida plays Arkansas next year, so that's a perfect excuse to bring you back. I love relevance. it. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm, I'm in. Uh, thank, thank you guys for having me. I'll look forward to, uh, to hitting you guys up after the big win on Saturday. I am hoping that that is the case, my guy. I am hoping that that is the case. We got this. We got this killed. We're gonna. We're gonna. I'll, I'll go home on here on on Sunday when we win, and I'll be. I'll be gloating about how. We believed in our Gators, and we'll, and we'll let Neil uh, eat his crow. Hey, I'll I'll eat it. I will recline and eat it on the finest silverware. I will <laughs> relish that opportunity. Thank you so much, Caleb. As always, um, we'll see you. Talk to you soon, and go Gators. Go Gators. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Chris. You guys have a good one. You Thanks. too.